If you have your Bibles, find John, please. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth gospel. And we're going to read from the first chapter, uh, beginning at verse 35 in just a moment. I do hope to see you at five in the Life Center. It will be a wonderful celebration of Thanksgiving, uh, five o'clock in the Life Center. John 1, 35. I want to ask you a trivia question to kick things off. And you don't have to answer uh, aloud, but do you know who was, the, who was the first person in Scripture recorded to be the, the, fo- the first person who followed Jesus? Who is the first recorded person to follow Jesus? We'll come back to that in a moment. Carrie and I are a little behind. We're, we're watching a TV show called Friday Night Lights. It aired years ago. But uh, there were several seasons. We're watching it on Netflix now, really enjoying it. Of course, I love high school football, and it's about a high school football team and uh, in, a, in a small Texas town. And it, has, it has given me a, a deeper appreciation for the job of high school football coaches. We're really enjoying watching that. Um, in the first season, there's a young man named Matt. He's a sophomore, a, a high school sophomore. And he's a backup quarterback. He spends his time on the bench watching the other quarterback. And he is a young man of average talent. But then, near the first of the season, the star quarterback is hurt and hurt badly. And so he's, he's finished. And so, the, so Matt, this young man, this sophomore of average talent, is called on to come and play, to step into the spotlight. He does his best. Again, he's a young man of average talent, but he does his best. He plays his heart out. The team rallies, and they win the state title, the state football championship in Texas. That was the first season. We're in season three now. In the third season, Matt is a senior, and he's the starting quarterback. QB1, they call him. But then a new kid transfers in named J.D., J.D. is one of these unusual talents, a young man with a great arm, with extraordinary ability, and the coach, a couple of games into the season, decides to to bench Matt, the young man with the big heart, but the average talent, and and so J.D. becomes QB1, the starting quarterback. Matt is relegated to the sidelines. Now, Matt is a good kid, but he's... He's hurt, he's angry, he's disappointed. I did everything you asked of me, coach, he said, and he almost quit, but he, he didn't quit. He learned a, a different role, and he, he contributed to the team in a, in a role that was outside the spotlight. Matt, the young man in Friday Night Lights, reminds me of the first one recorded to be a follower of Jesus, and his name is Andrew. Let's read about that, John 1, verse 35. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples, John the Baptist, that is. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him and asked, what do you want? They asked, or they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. 
Andrew, Simon's P- Simon Peter's brother. And that, by the way, is a hint as to the, what Andrew's life would be like. He always would be Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, whom Jesus later would name Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And Andrew brought Peter uh, to Jesus. So Andrew and this unnamed person are down there at the river listening to John the Baptist. When he sees John the Baptist, sees Jesus walk by, look, the Lamb of God, he said. And Andrew and the unnamed person began to follow Jesus, spent the afternoon with him long enough to know this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one our people have been longing and praying for. This is the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Deliverer. And and he, he went and got his brother Andrew and he said, you've got to meet him. This is the one whom we have sought for so long. It wasn't long after that that Jesus formed his disciples, his group of 12 close friends and followers who would learn from him and thus change the world. And then he, then he chose an inner circle, three who would have more access to Jesus and who would be more intimately related to Jesus. And they were, they, they were James, Peter, James, and John. There's a name missing from that inner circle. Andrew was the first one recorded to follow Jesus. Andrew is the one who went and introduced Peter to Jesus. And yet Andrew is left out of the, the inner circle. Luke 5 said that, that, that Peter and Andrew and James and John were partners in a fishing partnership. And, and so they probably had grown up together there in and around Galilee. And yet it was three of them, Peter, James, and John who formed the inner circle, and, and Andrew is, is just ordinary Andrew. Do you think that bugged Andrew? We don't know, but we know Andrew was human. And so I'm, I'm guessing that Andrew was hurt and angry and disappointed. That he would be relegated to the sidelines, if you will, and this young upstart, his brother, would, would be in the inner circle. He'd always be known as Peter's brother. In fact, they'd be walking around and people would say, oh, look, there's Peter and there's, there's his brother. What's his name? What's, what's his name? But he didn't quit. He was part of that 12, those dozen men who changed the world. A- Andrew, ordinary Andrew, ordinary Andrew lived an extraordinary life. The beautiful truth is that God specializes in letting ordinary people live extraordinary lives. November 11, just nine days ago, was Veterans Day. And the, one of the be- beautiful things about our heroes, the veterans, are that, that they're ordinary people who do extraordinary things. Oh, there have been some... Uh, Celebrities who've served in the military in, in the 50s, pictures of Elvis were everywhere in his army uniform. And then there was Pat Tillman more recently who left his role in the National Football League. He was a professional football player who voluntarily left. He, he volunteered to serve in Afghanistan, and there he was killed. So there are celebrities who serve in the military, but most, most it's, it's ordinary people doing extraordinary things so that battles are are fought and 
democracy is defended and, and freedoms are secured by ordinary people doing extraordinary things. God did not create us all to be famous, but He cre- created us all to live extraordinary lives. In John 10, Jesus is quoted. In the message, it says, Jesus says, I've come that they might have more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus came that we might live extraordinary lives. In this room on Monday, we celebrated the life of and mourned the death of Coach Tom Owen. Coach Owen was the principal at uh, Lee High School for a couple of decades and invested in the education of our region, but he's most known for his role as the legendary coach of the Huntsville High School football team, 1964 through 1975. I remember the first time I shook hands with Coach Owen. He was right out here, and I call it the lobby out by the piano, and it felt so odd. I tried not to look shocked and I I tried not to look down, but it felt like he had half a hand, and he did. Coach Owen's father died when Tom was four, and the uncles and friends tried to fill in the gap. Some of those uncles and friends had, had, friends of the family had taken him hunting when he was a young teenager, and a The gun went off accidentally and blew off the bottom half of Tom's hand. But with that half a hand, he played college football. He was a long snapper with that hand at Florida State. And then when he he was drafted right after college, Korea was still winding down. And and when when he went to the recruiter's office or the draft office, uh, they gave him a, a 4F, a, a form that says disabled and unfit for military service. Now, for most, most guys, or at least a lot of guys, that was the ticket home. I get to go home and see my girl and get my mom's cooking. A 4F was a cherished thing for a lot of people. But Tom asked the guy, why did you put me in this line, in the 4F line? He said, you have half a hand. He said, I know, I played college football with this hand. You want to serve? The guy asked. I sure do, Tom said, and he did. And then, of course, he, he came back and Coach football in Florida and Huntsville. And, and they came out of the woodwork on Monday to pay tribute to Coach Owen. Some of them who played football for him more than five decades ago. The extraordinariness of his life was not just in the playing college football and the the winning records of his team, but it was in the the, the way he invested in people. I I got what I'm sure was over 30 letters from him over the last seven or eight years, and I thought I was special. But as it turns out, there are a lot of special people to Coach Owen. He was always writing letters, making phone calls, visiting. And then I found out um, after his death from his son Ty, the secret behind his extraordinariness And that is a word. I looked it up before I used it. The extraordinariness of his life. Ty had gone off to college and moved back home for a little while. And 
He came down one morning, early in the morning, to get some coffee, and he saw his dad already up with his knees on the floor of his den and his elbows in the recliner, and he was praying. And for up to, that's what he did every morning. He prayed for people he knew and loved and people who were hurting. And for upwards of 30 minutes in the morning, he would pray. Tom Owen was an ordinary man who lived an extraordinary life. <clears throat> when I got here as, as pastor, there were two letters on my desk. One was from somebody I had not met and still have not met. It was from somebody in town, in, in the city, who had been watching TV and knew I was coming, and he, the letter questioned my sanity. I'll tell you about that letter. Maybe that's a whole other story. I get a lot of interesting letters, by the way. The second letter was from Rodney Moak. And it was the kindest, most welcoming, wonderful letter. He said, I'm I'm a member of First Baptist, but I I watch on television. I can't come on Sunday mornings. And it was just one of these once-in-a-lifetime kind of letters. I walked out, who is Rodney Moak? Oh, he's the sweetest man, someone said. And I went to see uh, Rodney in his home and his wife, Billy. Billy was suffering from both Parkinson's and dementia. Eight years before she died, uh, she had a fall, a fall so traumatic that uh, she never did get out of bed after that. Spent the last years, eight years of her life bedridden with Rodney at her side every day. I went to see Rodney and Billy, and uh, after we had visited, Rodney walked me to the door, and it was a beautiful romance, far better than any Hollywood story. He so deeply loved Billy. And I said, Rodney, I just want to thank you for taking care of Billy so tenderly, and tears welled up in his eyes, which was not uncharacteristic for Rodney. And he said, it is such a pleasure. It is such a privilege. And I knew he meant it. Year after faithful year, outside the spotlight, no accolades, no trophies. Rodney Moak did what many people would shrink from. By the way, Rodney knew some famous people. He met Ted Williams, slugger for the Boston Red Sox. He met Alvin York, Sergeant York, after which they, the World War I hero, after which they made a movie. He met George Patton, General Patton used to come, Rodney grew up near Rome, and, and Patton used to come with his troops and camp before World War, World War II, used to camp in the field across in their house. Patton used to come and sit on their porch and drink sweet tea. He knew General Patton. Rodney wasn't famous like um, Ted Williams or Sergeant York or General Patton. Rodney was just an ordinary man who lived an extraordinary life. And a few months ago, on a Sunday morning, Rodney was getting ready to come to church. He had his cereal. He sat down in his recliner. He had his Bible by his chair and his tie folded over his Bible. And that's where his granddaughters found him that afternoon, absent from the body but present with the Lord. And if you'll forgive me for being a little bit sappy, I believe when when Rodney met Jesus, I believe Jesus said, Wow, Rodney, you lived an extraordinary life.
Carrie and I knew a young mother, a single mother in Kentucky. Her husband left, not her choice, not her doing. She had two little boys that she raised on her own. She found out that she could make more with government assistance than she could working because of afternoon, after-school care and all that, but she, she chose to work, believing that was best for her and best for her boys. A, a man proposed to her, a man who with a lot of money and could have made, given her, she could have moved to Easy Street, but she didn't love him, didn't think it was right, and so she, she didn't. She raised those two boys on her own, outside the spotlight, with no accolades and trophies. That young lady lived an extraordinary life. And then there's Jocelyn. Jocelyn Edmonds. uh, She was interviewed this morning on TV church at 10. She was an an opiate addict for years and had some pretty high-profile arrests over in Russellville in western, northwestern Alabama. But on November the 5th, she celebrated 10 years of sobriety, and now she's helping other people. She has started the place of grace. They're building the building now. She's helped hundreds of women and some men get their find recovery. And then in 2019, you may remember this story. In 2019, she was scrolling through Facebook when she found out that Officer Terrell Potter, Terrell Potter, a policeman who had arrested her three times, needed a kidney. And she said, I felt like God said to me, you've got his kidney. Well, she'd abused her body for years. Who, would, who knew if it would be healthy or not? And of course, who knew if it would be a match or not? But she went in and it was a healthy kidney and it was a perfect match. And she gave a kidney to the officer who had arrested her three times. Jocelyn lives an extraordinary life. Let me, let me be clear. Extraordinary does not mean famous. It does not mean unique talent or unusual beauty. Extraordinary means taking seriously the great commandment to love God and love people. Extraordinary means doing the right thing when no one is looking. Extraordinary means the willingness to serve instead of to be served. Extraordinary means stepping forth courageously to do that which most people would shrink from. What would make your life extraordinary? Maybe it's like Jocelyn being open about some painful chapter of your life. Something that you've been ashamed of, but instead of hiding it, being transparent about it and vulnerable and letting God use that to help other people. Maybe it's a courageous stand or position despite the fact that you will receive criticism. What would make your life extraordinary? Maybe it's adopting a child or being a foster parent. Maybe it's volunteering at a shelter or becoming a mentor. What would make your life extraordinary? Maybe it's tutoring a child, teaching a child to read, to minimize the possibility that he or she will end up in jail. What would make your life extraordinary? Maybe it's speaking up for someone who's being treated unfairly. Maybe it's volunteering at a nonprofit. Maybe it's having a conversation, a genuine conversation with someone who is without hope and without God. 
Most of us are ordinary people. But we can live extraordinary lives. In fact, I heard someone say, if you are rich, if you are famous, if you are extraordinarily good looking, don't despair. God can use you too. It will just require more work on his part. The early Christians were a rather ordinary bunch. No VIPs or MVPs. No CEOs, no BMOCs. Just ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Oh, there were a few wealthy and influential people among them, but not many. Not many. Most of the, most of the early followers of Jesus were ordinary people. They were, they were born in obscurity. They lived in simplicity. And they died in anonymity. But they changed the world. In the Bible, God specialized in taking ordinary people and giving them the gift of extraordinary lives. And this is the most important thing I will say all morning. It's not about how special you and I are or how special we are not. This matter of extraordinary living is a matter of how big God is. Please hear 2 Corinthians 4, 7. This is, this is really important. God inspired Paul to write, We have this treasure, that is God's message, in earthen vessels or clay pots. Just very simple clay pots. We have this treasure of God's message in, in our simple, imperfect lives. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 continues, so that people will know the extraordinary power is not from us, but from God. This matter of extraordinary living is not dependent upon how special you are or are not. It's about the unlimited power of the Almighty who loves you with a love that is unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, and unrelenting. Ordinary people can live extraordinary lives. There's a great story told to be true about Paderewski, Ignacy Jan Paderewski. Paderewski died in 1941. He was the second prime minister of Poland. But he was also an accomplished Pianist, a concert pianist. He was in the United States doing a concert. People were gathering in the, in the concert hall. A mother had brought her little boy because he loved music. It was kind of boring. They'd been there a while. The mother was distracted, and the little boy wandered off, as little boys are wont to do. He looked around until he found a piano that I imagine looked a lot like this one. It was a Steinway. 
he was, and all kids, you can't pass up a piano, right? And so he, he was drawn over to the piano. Somebody had taught him how to play chopsticks. So the little boy walked up, sat down at the bench, and began to play chopsticks. What he, did, he hadn't paid attention. It was the piano on the platform, on the stage. It was Paderewski's piano. Well, people reacted kind of like Esther would if she saw me playing on that piano. They were aghast. They were horrified. Who's this kid playing the piano? Well, Paderewski saw from backstage what was happening, felt the tension in the air. He came rushing out onto the platform of the little boys playing chopsticks, and he put his arms either side of the little boy. And he whispered to the little boy, don't quit. Don't stop playing. Keep playing. So little boy's just playing chopsticks. And Paderewski put his hands on either side of the little boy. And he played a, mel- a melody that, that complemented, that, that enhanced, that bettered, that improved, that brought the best out of a simple little tune played by a simple little boy. And we have this treasure that is the message of God in clay vessels and imperfect, frail lives with limited capacities and no shortage of skeletons. And the Bible, the entire Bible is the story of of ordinary people playing chopsticks and the master of the universe wrapping his arms to either side of them and playing a melody that that complements, that enhances the simple efforts of ordinary people. And God still allows ordinary people to live extraordinary lives if we are simply courageous enough to let him.